0: Good morning. morning. Who was here for the first service? Ah, the faithful. The faithful. I apologize for having to go through two of me, but uh, I did get an upgrade. Paul said I did it right the first service so I can get a a, a full water. I got a little cup the first service that I get myself, so that's always a good sign. God really is good, guys. Do you know that? Kudzai? why don't you stand up? I'm very aware of, of the significance that rests over your life. Every time I see you, I fear the Holy Spirit arrests me, and, and, and I, I see that this banner over your life of, of significance. And even as, as you listen to the preacher today, I think you're going to begin to put together threads that the Father has been weaving in your life, when you've fought seasons and it looked like everything was coming apart and there was no future for you. But the Father had you in his hand. And, and I pray that this morning, as you listen to the word, you begin to put together the threads, how God has been dealing with you and, and putting you together and putting your heart back into a place. So that for the next season, there's going to be a profound outworking and it's going to surprise you, Kudzai, as you see the favor of God. You're going to walk into places and walk into seasons that you're not going to understand. You're going to get home and you're going to be thinking, flip, how did this happen? How did I get here? And it's already started to happen, but it's going to be more than and more than and more than. So why don't, church, why don't we just reach out our hands and just, this is a daughter of the house and we, we, Father... We just want to agree with what you're doing in her life. We think your plan is brilliant, it's amazing, and we just say yes and amen. We agree with heaven over Kudzai's life and we declare that this next season she's going to see the threads come together in a beautiful tapestry and she's going to be amazed at the goodness and the cleverness of God in her life. So we just release grace over her in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Well, it's wonderful to be here. You know, sharing a, a word is always a, an incredible privilege. It's not uh, I mean, I always joke about preparing late the morning before or or whatever and whatnot, but it's it's not that there's there's a sense of it's not something I take lightly. And I and I feel like the the word I have this morning is is something that's going to help us to shift our understanding and lock in more into what God is doing in this season. You know, Stan spoke last week very, very powerfully um, on, on having joy through trials. And can I say that, that I think in, in many ways what I'm going to share this morning dovetails into what Stan spoke last week. And uh, I think Stan covered it... Uh, from the word very, very powerfully, um, there was some deep theology in his, in his preach, and it would really be worth your while if you didn't, weren't here last week, or even if you were and you, you didn't really uh, notice, pay attention maybe or whatever, get that word and listen to it again because there's some very powerful keys, and when God gives us keys, he always gives us keys to unlock doors. And often the keys he gives us, the theological keys and the revelatory keys, are to unlock doors in our own heart so we can go into another season. And so what we do as Christians, we get, sometimes we get so many keys, we quite blase about them. And instead of valuing what God gives us and using them to unlock ourselves so we can walk into the next season. So Stan spoke from Romans 5, 1 to 5. And um, if you sum that up, that Romans 1 to 5, or 3, 3, 4, and 5, it really is suffering produces character. Ouch. Suffering produces character. Do you know what else produces character? Not much, because there's nothing in the word. It's suffering produces character. I think perhaps obedience. Whoops. And then if you, um, if you go to 1 James, which is another scripture around the same sort of subject, is. Trials result in completeness or wholeness. That's really what one James is. The trials we go through, which James tells us we can count all joy that we go through them. You know, I've often wondered, like if James, when I speak to you, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what you said there. It really hasn't worked that well in my life. But the the, the trials produce wholeness. And so, although the valleys. Or the trials, or the tough times, or the the the, the seasons where we in unknown seasons where life isn't happening well. Although those are not fun, they're not great. They're not like rah rah rah. This is amazing. They are the precious places in our lives. They are the they are very very special places. Almost everything of value and of beauty in our lives was either birthed or refined in the valley seasons. Let me say that again. Everything of value or of beauty was either birthed or refined in the valley season. Nothing of value or beauty in your life has come from the mountaintop seasons. just doesn't work like that. Or the thing where this is like, oh man, this is amazing. Life is good. The life is good comes out of the valleys done well. Okay. I don't like valleys. I've always always been a joke that I consider myself a mountain man. I was made for the wide open spaces and the fresh air of the mountains where there's this beautiful view and so valleys are not my favorite places. In fact, I mean, we have a joke in our household that that when I get sick, and which is like a valley in a sense, it's like, I just like, I unravel, you know, I get into, her. in fact, Janine, I've been, I was sick for the last three weeks, I had one thing, then another thing, another thing, Janine said, I actually caught her ruffling and i safe. And I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm looking for a marriage contract. I said, why? She says, I'm crossing out in sickness. <laughs> anyway, no, that's a joke. But for Janine and I, as we look back on our lives, the powerful, beautiful seasons have all been the valleys. I mean, I've loved the mountaintops and I've loved the great times, but the, the key stuff will happened in the valleys. I mean, I, I do remember uh, Catherine sitting over there when she was, I think, about a year old. Um, we were going through a financially hard time and she got sick. So r- risked her off to the doctor and, and I don't think we had medical aid in those days, we just had like a hospital plan. So you pay for the doctor's fees and then you pay for the medicine, come back, give her dose up, next week, still sick. Back off to the doctor and now we've got absolutely no money. You know, and it's like oh, flip, scrounge a little bit, empty out the piggy bank, do whatever you can, look in the car on the ashtray, go back to the doctor, um, same thing, more medicine, um, another doctor's fee, I was kind of like, hey, should I pay for this one? Because the first one didn't really work. You know, you think like that when you're under pressure. Pay for the doctor, same thing. By the fourth week, this is now the fourth time, we're, I'm I'm now desperate. I'm like, you know, we, as a dad or a father, you're sort of supposed to be the provider. It's like, flip, this is just not working. She's still sick. Janine's like, oh, what, what's happening, God? I'm like, oh, God. We're both in this place of like, I mean, there's a hundred emotions all happening at once. You know, I'd like to say we sailed through it with, with, uh, you know, just untouched by it. But we, we attitudes were shocking, angry, mad, all sorts of things, sad. We're like, God, we've got no options. We didn't have food in the house. We're just like, we've got no options. What? And as we're like moaning and feeling sorry for ourselves, it's ding dong. And the doorbell rings and an unexpected visitor comes with like heaps and heaps of groceries and a meal for the night. You know what I mean? Roast chicken pre-done. It was just like amazing. So, so what I'm trying to say is, is that although that was a horrible, horrible season, we can look back on that season and you know what I know? My God provides. And you can't learn that on a top, You have to learn that when you've got no other options and then you really, really know. You see, because your convictions and what you think is faith is only wishful thinking until it's been tried out and tested. You know what I mean? I can think I've got a whole lot of things until I've got to pay a price for them. And then suddenly it's like, oh, And now I know and Janine knows and we go through more tough times but we know our God provides. Yeah, it doesn't mean it makes it easy and it doesn't mean it, it just means you're able to press on because you know that you know that you know. So in the valleys, beautiful things happen. And so this morning, what I'd like to talk about, I'd like to try and help us understand valley seasons. Help us understand when we're going through tough times because I I think we have, have a mixed understanding of that. And when you don't understand something, you can get yourself into trouble. If you don't understand theology, you can come up with some weird ideas. You know what I mean? So understanding brings capacity to have faith in the season, capacity to have joy in the season. So I want to give us some understanding about tough times, about valley seasons, that will help us walk through them well and come out the other side of them powerfully and strongly. See, when you understand what is actually going down in the season that you're in, you can cooperate with that season. You ever thought of that? So when you know what God is doing and what Holy Spirit is doing in your life, then you can say, ah, let me cooperate with you. And you can come through the season. When you don't know, for all you could be doing, you could be fighting what God is wanting to do. So that's what I want to do. If I can get us to understand to reframe, to understand a little bit more about what our valley season is and how it implicates our lives, that would have been my job done. Jan, I just want to apologize about my small notebook. Jan had a comment about my small notebook, but like I said, times are tough, you've got to economize. (laughs) So i write one way, then I'll write on the back the other way to save paper. Okay, so I've got three parts to this preach. First part, I'm just going to talk a little bit about the valleys, so we just get a, a little bit of an understanding of them. Then I'm gonna talk about what not to do in the valleys. Like I said this earlier on, that is the part that I can speak with authority on. I've done all the things you shouldn't do and it hasn't worked well for me, so I have profound authority and depth to speak into that area. And then the third area, which is gonna be me stepping out in faith, I'm gonna talk about what we should be doing in the valleys. That's the one I'm still trying to, to master and every now and again, just when I think I've got it, I hit a little bit of a wobble. Okay. So, point number one, the valleys or the winters of our lives are an absolute necessity, full stop. In the natural, you need winters, a winter precedes a summer, full stop. You need it, you need it, you need it. It's not an optional extra, it's not a thing you go through because you've been a bad boy, the valleys are there, they are... Um, if you look in the natural, each season has its purpose. Something happens in the winter, something happens in the spring, something happens in the, in the uh, summer, and something happens in the autumn. Every season has its purpose. And a wonderful picture of why, what the difference between not having winters and having winters is the, the difference between a, a pine tree that has grown in South Africa, and they grow them up a you we were recently up in Pumalanga, and there's just heaps and heaps of pine trees, And a South African pine tree grows in about 25 years. And it's fully grown, chop the thing down, and they're ready to use it for, you know, for pine. And the thing is this, because we have such good weather and very little winters, the pine trees grow very quickly. And so, when the pine tree is fully grown, there's certain uses that the pine tree can be used for, the wood can be used for. And pine is, South African pine, as you all know, if you're into woodworking, is not a good wood. It's a it's a bad wood. I was going to say crappy, but I don't think that's allowed to be said in church. So I take that back. And it's so it's used for trusses or behind the scenes things. Um, it's not a it's not a strong wood. It bends. It's just not not a great wood. Then, if you go to Northern Europe, the same family of trees grows in Northern Europe. The difference is it takes seventy to ninety years to grow in Europe. Same tree, difference, winter. No winter, winter. And the thing is the the pine that grows in northern Europe is a very strong and good wood. You can use for fine furniture, you can use for all sorts of things. Same trees, one's gone through no winters, not useful for much, one has gone through winters and is able to be used for much. So the winters that we go through prepare ourselves for a life to be lived that's worth living. It's very, very important. When you don't go through the winters, you will not be able to sustain the call that, that rests over your life. And, I, and I, a beautiful picture I had, we were driving a while ago, and they'd burnt a firebreak a couple of weeks before I'd driven past there. And where they'd burnt the firebreak, um, it literally must have been a couple of weeks before that it was green. The grass was about this high. It was just green, green, green. You could hardly see the black anymore. It was just underneath it. But right next to it on either side, the grass hadn't been burnt and it was still brown. It hadn't started growing yet. And it was this fascinating picture of when the fire comes through, it kicks off growth which more than when there's been no fire. It's the same picture happening there. So the winters, the valleys are profoundly necessary. There's a guy... Um, A Christian coach, Um, he lives in California, a guy called Tony Stoltzfus, and um, he does, he coaches Christians, Christian leaders and Christians in business, and he's one of the, 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 I think the highest selling coach, author, whatever you want to call it, in America, which will probably be the world. And he wrote a book on the call of a leader, and really what it was, he looked at the lives of biblical leaders and then also Christian leaders who, from when they got saved until when they walked into what their their life, their call in life was. And he kind of, what was interesting, he found out that that period was about 25 to 30 years, from when you get saved to when you walk into the fullness of your call. And what was amazing was that he had kind of identified four main seasons in your life that you're going to go through. Obviously, all, like all these things, they're never exact because life doesn't happen like that. But that was the general thing, that there's four main seasons. But what was of interest to me, that between each season was a valley. And the three key valleys that you have to go through, in a sense, to walk into the fullness of your call. And the first valley was the valley of dependence where you learn to be dependent on God. You know, when you get saved, like, you can do anything. You pray for a parking, bam, you go to parking, life is good. Pray for someone, they get healed, and you're just like, I'm amazing. Absolutely amazing. And suddenly it's like, and you go into this valley of dependence where you suddenly learn that you might be amazing, and you, you are in one sense, but you're amazing because of who he is, not because of who you are. And so your, your, uh, your dependence needs to shift from your capacity and ability to his capacity and ability. And then you come out of that and you plot along and you go along. And then the next one you go through is the valley of wholeness, where you kind of, where God puts you together in a sense, fixes, deals with processes. And some of us can really extend this valley if we want to, if we don't follow the. But there's something of a, of a, of a healing and a wholeness happening. And you come out of that. And then the third valley that you go through is what he calls the valley of identity, And in the Valley of Identity, it really is this where God disconnects your call and your purpose in life from your identity. You see, if you don't have that disconnect, your call or your purpose will inform your identity. So I will be, I'm Hilton Mandel, I'm a prophet. Or I'm Nick McMillan, I'm a businessman. Or I'm Jan, I carry joy. Or I'm this or I'm that. And we, we connect our call to who we are. And so what will happen when when things get a bit ruffled, we will go to protect our call because that informs our identity. So we will end up in idolatry. No one's gonna mess with me being a prophet. I'll shoot you down because if I'm not a prophet, then what am I? Well, actually, I'm first and foremost a saint and a son. That's the highest call. The fact that I can prophesy or the fact that I can help people, that's secondary the most important thing. And that's what happens in that valley of identity is that disconnection. And that's a horrible process. It's like, you feel like you're nobody, you're nothing. What am I? As you learn to transfer your identity from what you do to who you are in him. And so the valleys of our lives are really, really important. Okay. The, The second thing I need to say is for most of us, we have a theology or an understanding of how God works that is not helpful when we enter a valley season. Because what happens is we kind of, my life starts to, feels like it's falling apart, finances are drying up, this has happened, car's broken down, child's on drugs, I'm like, just, none of you? Just checking. Anyway, just joking, private joke. And Immediately when I'm in that space, it's like, God, what am I doing wrong? Anyone kind of identify with that? It's like, oh, okay, things aren't going well. There's something that I'm not doing right in my life. And, and that's, that's normal thinking, I think. That's, you know, not for, But if you, if you strip that thinking and you go to the, the underneath of that thinking, that kind of thinking will come from something that rests in this place if I do the right thing, it will go well with me. And if I do the wrong thing, it will go badly with me. Does anyone agree with that? And that sounds kind of right. It's just in the wrong covenant. That's kind of under the Mosaic law. You see, because the thinking of that, if you go one step back on that, is when it's going well with me, it's because I've done the right thing. Which, in another word, that's called self-righteousness. I get what I deserve. Conversely, I get what I deserve when things are going badly. So if I've been a naughty boy, well, God's going to cause me to have a crash and my insurance is not going to pay out, and that's because I was being naughty and doing whatever. Can we see that thinking? See, that thinking... We don't go there, that's underpinning, but we'll certainly go here when, oh, when it's tough, oh, I must be doing something wrong. And so we end up in the valley asking the wrong questions. We end up in the valley processing the wrong stuff, you know. And and the problem with that thinking, which is really important for us is that if I think when I'm doing good, I get what I deserve. Let me put it that way, I get what I deserve. If I do bad, I get bad. If I do good, I do good. The problem with that is that it's anti Christ thinking. Because gospel thinking, gospel understanding is when I'm in Christ, I get what I don't deserve. I get salvation, I get sonship. I get all these things that that I didn't deserve, and I can't deserve, and I will never deserve. I get them because Jesus made a covenant with his Father, and I enter into that covenant that he will never break, and I'm locked in, in this beautiful, beautiful space. Now, I want to say, there is things that we can bring upon ourselves, absolutely. I'm I'm not talking about, I can do stupid things and end up in stupid places, absolutely. But what I'm saying is, when we're in a valley... Just be aware of the questions you're asking. If you're thinking, oh boy, I'm doing, what am I doing wrong? I must be doing something wrong. Our thinking presupposes that if I start doing the right thing, I will get myself out the valley. And a lot of us spend a lot of energy doing that. Perhaps the right thing to me is, God, what's going on here? What, what do you want to change in me? Because when I start to cooperate with you, I know you're going to move me out the valley into the next season. When I allow what you're wanting to do in this season, can you see that very, very important shift there? Really, really key. Every summer has a winter preceding it. And the next point I want to make about the valleys, which is really, really cool, is the valleys are the place of the miraculous. You do not get miracles on mountaintops. You might in the old covenant, but not in in our lives. If, If you read the Gospels, Every single miracle that Jesus did, he encountered someone who was in a valley of some sorts. From the woman who was bleeding. She had no hope. The man beside the pool, who had no one to move him into the pool, to Lazarus, in the I mean the valley of all valleys. Every single encounter of the miraculous coming up to the guy possessed by the Demons, to every single one, the person was in a valley, Spirit of God came, Jesus came, bump, miracle. So when you're in a valley, if you get your thinking right, if you get your understanding right, you can shift from being, what am I doing wrong, to God, what are you doing here, and I'm excited to see your miraculous move in my life to shift me along to where you've got me. It changes everything doesn't mean you're going to get shifted straight out of the valley, but it means he's in control and the miracles happen in this place. If we shift our thinking, shift our understanding, we can go into amazing, amazing places. Right. Okay, so that's a little bit about the valleys. Is that all good so far? Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So I want to talk now, shift a little bit on the things that are, that are not helpful for us to do when we're in the valley season. And as I said, this I speak with authority on. I can guarantee you that what I'm sharing now works, and it's true. I've been there, done that, tried it all, all the angles. Look, you know that, you know what they say about when you want to do something, uh, get something done easily. Get it, put a lazy man in charge, because he's always going to find a quicker way to do it. Well, I was that lazy man. I tried every angle to get through this thing, and I'm back to... There's only one way through the valley that's, gonna, that's lasting and that's yielding. Okay, so number one, do not do. Do not allow your impatience to rule you. Everything beautiful and everything to do with the kingdom of God, when Jesus or, or the, the scriptures is talking to us, is connected to this ugly word called patience somehow. With patient endurance. Patience, 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 patience. So when you remove yourself from patience and you become without patience, you, you in a sense going to disconnect yourself from the kingdom of God. That's just how it is. And when we have impatience in a valley season, what we kind of, we aren't understanding what God is doing in the season and we just want out. And so the choices we make when you have impatience is, I, I want to avoid pain. I'm getting out of here. God, get me out. How do I get out? Quickest way out. So we make choices to avoid pain instead of making choices for the king and his kingdom. Hey, this this is working. This is shifting something in my life. I need more of this. This is going to be good. It's painful. Ouch. It's sore. I can smell burning flesh, but it's good. Do you know what I mean? Impatience is a killer. A killer, a killer, a killer. Every valley... Is a proving and a preparation for the next season. So, can I say that your next season is intrinsically linked to the preceding valley? How you walk through that valley will determine how you walk in the next season. Full stop. You will run out of steam, and you can see people who get ahead of themselves, and they call it. They're all, they don't have the character and they haven't walked the valley seasons well and they don't have the capacity to carry what God has for them in the next season and it all unravels. Okay. So for point one, impatience. Point two, hardening our hearts. And can I say with hardening our hearts is closing our ears is kind of the same thing in the, in the tough season. Not wanting to hear what God is saying to us. And so what we do, and, we, and listen, can I just say, as Christians we get quite clever. We never will say, I'm not listening to God. We'll rather say something like, oh, God said this. Everyone else say, no, God said that. No, God said this. And in a way we, we lock out the purposes of God from working in us because we've hardened our heart and we don't allow him to change us. It's like, this, this season is not changing me. I'm going to flatten this valley and make it smooth roll all the way up to the mountains. I'm not being changed by the season. And we miss the point of the valley. The point of the valley is so that it changes you. It impacts you. It does things to you. It prepares you for the next season. So how do we, how do we, um, how do we harden our hearts? I think there's three, I mean there's heaps of ways of hardening hearts, but there's three things that I really want to, want to talk on. The first thing I want to talk about is entitlement. Entitlement in a valley season closes us off to hearing anything. And entitlement really is this. I deserve better. So when I'm in a tough season, I'm looking at Nick and he's got a new Land Rover and I've got an old car. That's just, I deserve that. What has he done to deserve I deserve that. And, and we lock off, the reason I'm driving an old car might be because God is dealing with something, but we close off the capa- and I'm using a, a car example, but it's, it's deeper than that, but it's just to, to help us understand. It's very, very, very important that entitlement, um, and the thing with entitlement too, that we deal with entitlement, because the thing is that if I to carry on the picture, that if I eventually come out of my season and I get a new car, I'm not really grateful because I deserved it. You cannot bless an entitled person because whatever you give, they deserved it. And it's, 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 it's the... Entitlement is the opposite of thankfulness. It's like other sides of the coin in a sense. So you, entitlement hardens our heart It it stops us receiving with thankfulness what God is doing to us. Very, very key. Closes us down. Second thing is the offense, the offended heart. This shouldn't happen to me. Or who do you think you are? Why are you doing what you're doing? How can you do what you're doing? And we we, we carry offense in our heart. And can, can I say this? Offense is like a roadblock to the grace of God flowing in our life. If you read in, I think it's in Matthew somewhere, Jesus goes back to Galilee, and he he's, goes back to his hometown, and, and he talks about a prophet not being recognized in his hometown, and the guys are amazed that he's there, and they think, oh, this is Jesus, and they talk, and suddenly the, the conversation shifts, and you see, it says, and they were offended, in some translations with him by him, by who he was. Because who's this Jesus? We know him, he's Mary's brother, this, he's that. We knew who he was, and actually now he's trying to be the son of God. There was an offense to that. And it's fascinating that he could not do many miracles there. So the king of kings, the one who spoke and created the world, the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, he's the one that created, comes into an environment where there is offense, And the flow of heaven stops. Offense will kill you in terms of the kingdom of God, in terms of the goodness of God. It will rob you, it will rob you, it will rob you. And the third thing that that will really catch us out is an orphan spirit. And, And an orphan spirit, you see, let me just say this, that Spirit, I'm talking spiritually now. We all start off life, in one sense or another, as orphans. And the King of Kings, the Father, through Jesus, comes to adopt us into His family. And Jesus gives us permission that we can call Him, we can cry out, "Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy, Father." We can call Him our Dad in one sense, which is, which, which is 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 like if you know Hebrew and the way the, the way the Jews understood God, to even they couldn't even speak the name of God. That was like an insult to God. And yet Paul, who, who comes from that, that environment, understands all those things, jumps right over their culture and says, no, you can call him Daddy. He's adopted you. It's like that was mind-blowing. It was like unbelievable for them. But that's what happens. Now the point is this. When we stay with that orphanness in our heart, we don't let it be dealt with. We don't shift our allegiance from our own capacity to his grace and his inheritance, what he has for us. We stay in the space that I've got to make this happen for myself. I've got to make this life happen for myself. And it causes you problems that you can't receive. You lock yourself out from receiving an inheritance that God has for us. And it, so we're in the valley season, and you're like, as a, with when, you, when you haven't dealt with that orphanness in us, which we all carry, we're like trying to get out, trying to get out, trying to make it happen ourselves. And there's something about encountering the king of kings who wants to be our father. And is not embarrassed by us, and calls us close. And says, come here, my son. Come, Come here. Come here. It's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. But to do that, we have to let go of a whole lot of things all the things that we've got for ourselves and built for ourselves in our little mud huts and our this and our that and let go of all that and come into his presence as a son. So, orphan spirit that will lock you out. Okay, so, how do we do the valley seasons well? I've got a couple points that I want to just share with us. I think are, we're very, very helpful. The first point I want to share is, and it's been my word of the season, is really this word relinquishment relinquishment it's, it's letting go and letting God. Letting go and letting God. Now, I think it's really important that I, that I just want to say this because very often you can say certain things and depending where people are, they will hear certain things and will give them permission to do things that actually the, I wasn't saying. So when I say relinquishing, I'm not talking about saying, okay, God... You're in charge. I'm going to stay at home, watch Netflix on my laptop until you intervene and make this give, bring me a job. That's not letting go. That's just being lazy and and silly. Letting go and letting God is letting go of the right to control the outcome. It's not, you still need to steward what God has given you. You still need to if you're looking for a job, you still need to do everything you need to do, what you know how to do to the best of your ability, but what you're actually saying, you're doing it in a posture, God, I actually can't make anything happen, but I'm going to do the best I can, and in me doing, I'm just going to trust you to come through in this thing. That's what letting go and letting God. It's not letting go of respond, of, of of work and saying, I'm just going to do nothing and be lazy. It's not that at all. It's not that at all. In fact, if you go there, you've got other issues you need to process. It's about letting God Control the outcome. And it's about saying, you know, God, I'm going to do my share, but I know this is my part and your part is the outcome. I can't control that, but I can trust you that whatever you've got is good. And you know what the amazing thing is? God's outcome almost never equals what our outcome would be. It's always different and it always comes through another way and it's always amazing. But it never happens the way we think it's going to happen. So, relinquishment, really, really important. And I want to say that, to understand this relinquishment, there is, there is at least three blueprints for your life. There is three plans, three plans that are set up for your life. I don't know if you know that, but I'm telling you now, there's three plans. So the first plan is the plan that we have for ourselves. You know, I, I can remember when I was 18, left school, One of my plans was to be a millionaire by the time I was 25. I must say on the eve of my 21st birthday, I was broker than I was when I was 18. And it was like quite depressing, you know what I mean? Had car payments, had this, had that, had that. But I, and and if I, if I peel away the layers of my, I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 25 and all the other things I had, they, if you take away all the, the layers and you get down to the very core of it, the core really, was I'm going to prove that I'm worthy of something. I'm going to show my school friends, my parents, my other friends, I'm going to show somebody that I'm worthy. See, because most plans that we make for ourselves are birthed in some measure of deficit. That we need to prove something so we pursue something. And can I say, just because you think you've got Christian plans, that doesn't equate that I'm going to be the best prophet I can or the best prophet in in Durban or the the most respected. That's because I've got Christian words and it's a Christian thingy. That means nothing. It's still covering deficit. It's because I want to be something because I haven't understood. I'm still an orphan somewhere along the line. I haven't understood that God is, I'm a saint. Number one. So we have these plans that we have for ourselves, and not all of them. Some of us have good plans, but I'm, but generally there's a deficit in the plan that we have for ourselves. The second plan that that there is for your life is actually not not a blueprint, but I'm saying, but a blackprint. It's an anti-plan, and it's the enemy's plan. And the enemy's plan is this: you can have whatever you want. as long as it's not what God has for you. So, for Tom, it could be, I'll make you a businessman extraordinaire with gazillions and millions and legits and this and that and this and that, and all these things. As long as you don't, do what God's called you to do. For somebody else, it could be, well, I'll get you hooked up on drugs and get you in a gutter and doing whatever. As long as you don't, do what God's calling you to do. See, it doesn't matter. It can be this, that, that. that. The enemy doesn't care. He doesn't mind blessing you on this earth if it curses you and God into, into eternity. He really doesn't mind. So that's the second plan that sits over our lives. And then we have the plan of God for your life. The plan of the one who knit you together in your mother's womb who had that plan before he created the world. He had good works for you before he created the world to do. And that's the plan we need to lock into. That's the plan we need to lock into. And that happens to shift from our plan to his plan takes a couple of valleys. As he undoes the deficits in our lives and the things that we're yearning for, I desperately need a new car, I want a new car, I want a new car. Now you only want a new car because you feel like having a new car. If I can have a V8, five liter v V8, people will think I've arrived. I'm not looking at anybody. See, relinquishment is trusting him in his plan. That's what it is. Not in your plan. And that's difficult, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. It really, really is. And, and G- Jesus says, seek, he first, the kingdom and all these things, so the, these things are the things we want. All these things will be added to you. But we like, I'll seek all these things and tack on the kingdom somewhere. You know, that, that doesn't kind of work, doesn't work. Because the more of these things you get, the less space you've got for the kingdom. And you can see it in people's lives where their favor comes and favor comes and favor comes and they just got less and less space for the king and the kingdom. And so that's really, really important, okay. The third thing, um, second, third, fourth, I've lost count, is there, there's some key, when we're going through valleys, there's some key things that we can anchor ourselves to that get us through the valley, that don't allow us to slip back. And the two things that, that I think are absolutely critical, the number one is, is thankfulness. And I, I said in the, in the morning service, you cannot have a bad attitude and be grumpy, and be thankful at the same time. I challenge you to try. that. You, you be thankful for half an hour. You just try, start to write down a list of all the things that you're thankful for. No matter what situation you're in, there's things to be thankful for. And primarily is this one. I'm going to heaven. No matter what happens, it's ending well. I'm, I'm going to be in glory. It's like, that's you know, it's just incredible. And if, So thankfulness locks us out of a whole lot of things. It's it inoculates us against the bad attitude, it inoculates us about going into depression. it inoculates us about so many things. Thankfulness, thankfulness, thankfulness. Use that as an anchor. And I think the other thing when we're in a valley that, that, is, that is profoundly, it's actually warfare, is generosity. Which sounds like counterintuitive, I've got no money right now because I'm not getting a salary. Well, be generous. What do you mean, I've got nothing? Well, there's other things. that you, If you've got nothing in your bank, there's other things that you can be generous with. You can phone somebody. And if your phone's been cut off, you can take a walk to their house and share, just pray for them and, and prophesy over them. You know, there's things you, you can, no matter what your situation, generosity is really this. It's actually stating to the spiritual realm, this is not only about me, but this is about the king and his kingdom, and I'm going to invest in other people. That's what it is. It's a, it's a spiritual statement. And so every time, so it's not about, oh, I'm going to give 50 bucks to the church and, oh, I've got a tithe. How am I going to tithe this? If you're thinking on that level, you've missed it. Generosity is up there. It's spiritual warfare. Profound, profound. And can I tell you, it's flipping hard when you've got all these demands in your life and you've got to be key. You've got to be key. We got some money, and Janine says to me, I need a tithe. I was like, oh, no. I don't need this in my life right now. There's so many I could do with that money right now. And I said, are you sure? She says, yes. well, okay, <laughs> you know what I mean, and, and that's best general. Even if you've got to do it reluctantly, I mean, Jesus loves a, a cheerful giver, but sometimes doing it reluctantly is just warfare. It's just warfare. It's declaring to your heart, declaring to the enemies, declaring to the spiritual realm, I'm not tied to this. I'm part of the King and His Kingdom. Okay, right. Use the prophetic words spoken over your life paul in 1 timothy 18 he paul is writing to timothy a spiritual son and he's saying timothy my son wage warfare with the prophetic word spoken over your life wage warfare with the prophetic word spoken over now this is an apostolic prophetic house so at the very least you should have some prophetic words janine and i have got prophetic words going back 30 years and we have them written. We have them typed out. Every time someone shares a word, we record it on the phone. Back in those days, we used to record it on a cassette, transcribe it. Janine would type it away, and we put it put in our thing. And when times are tough, we go back to those. We go back to those. We go back, and we wage warfare with that. We wage warfare. And and I want to say, I want to say this. I want to give you permission too. if you do not have prophetic words spoken over yourself. I want to give you permission to seek out somebody in this community who has a prophetic gifting and go to them and say, please pray for me. Please pray for me. Please pray for me. I want to to just do something. If you operate in the prophetic, and I know who you are, I want you to stand right now. Quickly. Okay. Have a good look at those people. So if you haven't had a word, pick one of these people. And go and find them after the service or during the week or something like that. Okay. So thanks, guys. This, this, is about, this is about your destiny. This is not about being polite. Church is never about being polite. The kingdom is never about being polite. The kingdom is about forcefully advancing. So go and find someone and say, I really need you to pray for me. Well, I'm busy now. That's fine. When will suit you? I'm available anytime. Tomorrow? No. Okay, I'll phone you. You keep pressing in. Find and if they and if they're not coming, stepping up to the plate, go and find somebody else. Let me tell you, Carmen always loves to prophesy. That's Carmen over there. I guarantee you, she'll have a word for you. Okay, uh, you can put a number up on the screen. Yeah. Okay, where am I? Where am I? Okay, and I want to just say this. I want to help help us with the prophetic. Is Nigel here? Ah, oh, there he is. Okay. So Nigel's an architect. An architect is like a prophet of buildings. Can you capture the picture? So an architect, as a prophet will prophesy the future, an architect will design the future, and he puts down what is going to be built. So getting a prophetic word from heaven is like getting blueprints from an architect and you wow this is amazing I've got this prophetic word I've got this is what's going to happen now this is the thing the prophetic sees from here to there and it paints a picture what the prophet or the prophetess or the person speaking with the prophetic sees in the future it doesn't tell you much about the journey there so you get this picture you're going to be an amazing building 250 stories high. And you, yes, Jesus, I was designed for the summon. And you go to the building site, and all there is is excavation. They've gone down. It's like negative growth. They're digging down. And you think, no, I'm I'm supposed to be, hey, God, you prophesied I'm going up 250 stories. What, you've gone down 30 stories into the mud here? What's going on? And I just want us to understand. That is the valley for the picture that God has for you. And if you don't have the 60, and you'll know it's, rocket, it's not rocket science, but the taller you go, the deeper you've got to go until you hit the bedrock, the rock. We all need to hit the rock. Build your house on the rock. Sometimes the rock's through a lot of mud and get down to there. So I just want to help us with the prophetic. So if you get a prophetic word... It says you're about to be a 250-story skyscraper. Just say, Jesus, I'm ready for the ride. And lock into some really good friends. <laughs> so you're about to go down. <laughs> no, I'm joking. But it, 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 that, that happens, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful because if we don't go down... We'll get to 35 stories and fall over. I mean, you've seen those pictures on YouTube of the guys building, having down the foundations. I mean, Leaning Tower of Pizza is a beautiful picture. If they hadn't put all those things, that thing would have fallen. What was the problem there? No foundations. Bumph. So you can choose. You can be Nigel's skyscraper or you can be the Leaning Tower of Pizza, which you need to be held up by everyone else around you spends their life holding you up because you haven't got the foundations to hold yourself up. Okay, I digress. I digress. Right, right, right. Okay, so, in, in the valley, we need to be people of joy. That's, that's it. Kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, joy. So, I mean, if you want to look at that, joy is a third of the kingdom. You know, that's, that's quite amazing. You know, when I'm in the valley, there ain't no kingdom there most of the time, Yeah, I need to change something. You change something. And, and I, I, I think one of the keys to understanding having joy in the kingdom, you see, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. But what we do in the valley, we, we extract ourselves from the present, and we go into the future, or we go into the past. Let me explain. Who's ever... Been in a tough time. Like, I've lost my job, no salary coming at month end. They didn't give me a retrenchment package. I was fired because I was nicking a couple things. I nicked some pens from work or whatever the situation is. Now I'm in a pickle. Then you start to think, oh boy, I've got school fees coming. I don't know how I'm going to pay that. Or rent. Oh, flip. Okay. This, that. Oh my goodness. In six weeks' time, I'm going to be without a house. Kids not at school and no food. I'm going to be homeless on the streets with nothing. Oh, and you start to panic. Now, I know none of you have been there. It's just me. But that we, we go into the future and we partner with fear. And we make scenarios with fear about how this is going to come to crashing and burning down. In the present... In his presence, there is fullness of joy. In the future, with fear, he ain't there. And if you, conversely, if you like in a valley and it's like you're looking back at your past and what you did, oh, flip, I can't believe I messed that up. Oh, I did that. And then I divorced my wife. And then this, and then this. Oh, I'm actually where? I, oh. And you live in the past with regrets and shame. In the present, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. Not in the future, not in the past. And one of the the battles that we need to do is to keep ourselves in the present. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got quite enough issues of its own. Stay in the present with me right now, and I will lead you where you need to be. Very, very powerful, very, very powerful. And so what we do, if you think about all the times you've, and I mean, listen, can I just say, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not speaking like I've got this thing. I mean, I went through a valley and I was on pulls to stay from anti-anxiety, pulls to sleep at night because I couldn't sleep, pulls to so this, pull. I was like a wreck, you know. And if I think back to that, that season, I was living in the fear of the future of what was going to happen because I didn't know how it was going to I had no understanding, and that's what things that happened put me in a position, and I, I, I didn't have it in my control, and so fear got hold of me, anxiety got hold of me, and the whole thing just came tumbling down. So our work to have faith, because faith is work, is to stay in his presence, in the present, because there is fullness of joy there. In the future, there is chaos and fear. In the past, there is shame. And it's beautiful, it was a, such a powerful picture because in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve eat from the fruit, and I, I, was, I, I always joke it's an apple, we know it's not an apple. Well, we don't know it's not an apple, we don't know what it is, but apparently it was most likely a fig, according to, to Jewish rabbis. Anyway, when they ate of that, the father comes looking for them. And I want to just read this because it's... And he says, where are you? And this is what he says. We were afraid. I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Can we see I was afraid, fear? Because I was naked... Shame, so I hid. Fear and shame have been waging warfare on us to keep us out of the presence of God. That's our warfare. I'm not going to the future to fear. I'm not going to shame that was dealt with. That's the beautiful thing when we're Christians, that we die to ourselves. So And, and it's a... There's a legal thing. When you die... All your debts die in your estate. They don't pass on to your family. They don't. They're finished, closed. Everything that you did in the past and even in the present in Christ has no bearing anymore. Our work to have joy in the valleys as we align God to do his thing in us is to stay in the present where, there is, where he is present in his presence There is fullness of joy. And to finish off, I really want to say this. I'm not saying God is the author of valleys. I think there are some valleys that our own stupidity and dumb decisions get us into. The valley of stupid you know I, I i don't know i resign my job when i haven't got a, another job to go to and 3 months later I'm, I'm i don't have a house to live in because i can't afford to pay that's stupid that's just very stupid but the beautiful thing is this is that whether you got into the valley because of stupid or you're in the valley in the process of god if you reorientate your heart to him and shift your questions from i was so stupid or i'm scared of the future to father what are you doing in this place That valley changes from the valley of stupid to the valley of beautiful, beautiful space where he is going to change you so you don't have to go back through the valley of stupid. But some of us never arrive there, so we keep going through the valley of stupid decisions. And so the valley of stupid becomes a sacred place when we change our posture to him. And so even if your valley is because you made a bad decision, there is joy in that valley when you turn to him And it becomes sacred. And he says, right, okay, my daughter. Okay, my son, let's work with you. Let's shift you. Let's set you up. Not necessarily dealing with the past. We think God's going to fix, deal with all our past. No. He's setting you up for your future. He's always for the future. Some of the things he has to deal with, he deals with not because of your past. That's just a product of what you had in you. He deals with it so you can live powerfully and in his purpose in the future. So... When we allow these things to happen to us, when we allow this, we really do become a people that have joy, profound, deep, deep joy in our calamities, in our chaos. We can have joy. We can worship when we have things that we, we don't have, that we want desperately. We can worship in our wants profoundly. We can have thanksgiving in our lack and our need. And we can have deep, deep faith in profound, profound uncertainty.